on Monday evening. It's a uh, uh, Far Off Sounds podcast. We have a great guest tonight. It's uh, Max Alper, a.k.a. AKA Lameem Young. Uh, Max is a, a MFA graduate of Brooklyn College, studied sonic arts there, um, and then found his way uh, to living and teaching in Puerto Rico as of a few years ago. Uh, now, Max runs a uh, Patreon-only uh, sort of like decentralized music school of sorts. So he's got, I don't know how many patrons. He's also, a, we, he's, the reason he was able to do that school is because he's a professional shit poster of uh, like experimental music memes on Instagram. Yeah, I mean, not, e- not even just experimental music, but yes, I mean, the memes are kind of what funneled the, the people into his decentralized music school of sorts. Now as a now as a uh, a, st- a straight and narrow sort of like a bow tie wearing steak eating American, I'm not that familiar with uh, experimental music. I'm more of a I don't know, I'm more of a um, Burt Lancaster type, or more of a uh, I'm into uh, Fats Domino. And I what I want to know is who is Lamont Young? Who is who is the what his account is named after? Uh, so Lamont Young is like a, one of the like great. Uh, American minimalist composers, uh, famous for like the the well-tuned piano, uh, also the Dreamhouse sound art installation that's been in uh, in Manhattan since the '90s or maybe even older. Uh, Can you describe one of those? Like, what is what are... the uh, the Dreamhouse is is like four never-ending tones that are uh, you know set to a frequency in such a way that they sort of like vibrate and the, the the tones kind of change depending on uh your placement in the room and it's 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 somehow extremely disorienting dissonant and calming and hypnotic at the same time and then his partner marion zazela uh has like uh what do you call those things like uh, mobiles Experimental like mo- mobiles, mobiles, mobiles. Yeah, you yeah. Mean the things that hang in. Yeah, know, like the, these beautiful like light sculptures cool. everywhere, and it's it's just one of the the most fantastic places. Wait, so you said his partner? You're talking about Lamont Young's partner? partner. Okay, so they, they, the two of them made the dream house, um, and it, yeah, it's been it's just been this tone that's just been going since the '90s. It's wow, it's incredible. Where uh, is it situated? So it's I believe you know I don't know my New York geography too well. It's in Manhattan. Okay. It's on like, Church Street. Have you been to it? Have you seen it before? Up. Yeah, I've been like three or four times. Like, whoa, whoa. I, I love it so much. Well, why didn't we go while we were in New York City? Because I've already been like four or five times. So mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, I don't... I think the real reason is that uh, it might be closed for coronavirus. Uh, okay. I just want to go back a second and say that I mentioned Burke, Burt Lancaster as an example of a straight and narrow mainstream American music and not... Totally forgetting that he's actually an actor from the uh, golden era of Hollywood. He's not a musician, so I want to take that back. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna stick with Fats Domino as my example. Okay, good to know. All right, let's uh, let's talk to Max. I can't wait. All right. So you use you use Zoom. I I assumed or I thought you would use Twitch for your uh, for your live sessions. No, nah, because it's because we uh, it's it's really not even a live stream. It's uh, it is more like a kind of.
kind of structured like a class where people i want people to talk you know mm -hmm. turn your cameras on if you want you know uh i want people to participate as much as they uh are comfortable doing but uh we did the we did the google i mean not <laughs> google i guess technically google we did youtube live streams for a while and uh i enjoyed the you know i think it's 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 good and efficient but you know just dealing with the chat was less of the engagement that i was uh trying to trying to get with this sort of stuff i still think yeah. i'm gonna do some sort of live stream thing at some point but uh separate from what the the patreon is usually how do you how many people do you get in in one of your zoom classes on a given day it could be it really varies i mean like we can get a, a couple or we can get, you know, up to 20 at a time, like full class size. You know, there's about 800 patrons and like the entire, uh, you know, kind of rotating, rotating uh, cast of who shows up into the Zooms. You know, it really depends, uh, which is nice, you know, because uh, I definitely don't expect everybody <laughs> signed up to be going to, you know, most people are into it for maybe not even maybe not even that that program maybe just support they like the memes you know but uh, right. uh it's uh it's been it's been fun with the people that do show up you know i mean i feel like we we have so many i have so many questions about this sort of like like meta technological institutional question because we are you know we've been as far off sounds we've been making documentary films for about 10 years and releasing them on youtube which is like a very the the sort of very traditional model of media creation and just like a hierarchical community where we're telling the story and everybody else is consuming it, and we're just now about to like basically one of the reasons the main reasons that we're recording this podcast is because we're about to break into uh, a Patreon uh, community model and for the first time and uh, yeah it's I feel like you you're a really good person to talk to about that you've been kind of like carving a really interesting niche in that space for a while and exploring it in a really sort of philosophical and uh, it's like conscientious way. It seems thinking a lot about it. Yeah, pretty. I'm trying to, uh, it's definitely more than just like, if I wanted to do like, you know, cause I do have like a little podcast element to the stuff that I'm making like through the, the guest speakers that come through, you know, and things like that. But uh, it's definitely, I there are a few people that have sort of, I guess, inspired me as far as using Patreon as that kind of educational platform, sort of, uh, and also as a way to like remove yourself from academia formally. Like, you know, Brad Trammell has been doing this, you know, with like the visual art shit forever. Right. And, you know, um, including like the lessons thing, not just like, you know, exclusive educational content, but like, you know, the monthly studio visit thing, that was totally, uh, totally an idea ripped from, from seeing what Brad's done. Uh, and I'm a patron of his, you know? So it's, uh, it's one of those things that it was like, it's definitely possible. And COVID kind of brought out, cause you know, the, the meme page has been around for about five years now. Um, but the Patreon's only been about a year, uh, a little over a year now. So it's like, COVID kind of presented this situation where it was like, damn, like people are into this, you know, Q and a, I don't know, like, you know, virtual class sort of, uh, facilitator role. 
and uh, anything that could help me slowly back out from my previous uh, academic job, I was looking to do, you know, and so it was just a felt like, you know, lemons into lemonade situation because COVID fucking sucked and everybody was dealing with in the <laughs> in it's not like in the macro scale, not a big deal compared to all the other COVID issues. But, you know, writer's block as composers, like working from working from home as solo practitioners, not being in the band or having rehearsal space or shows for that matter. And a lot of people, myself included, kind of felt lost for quite a while. So even if it was like creating being the one that had to facilitate creating the community, like I benefit from it just as much as everybody else. You know, I say that all the time. Like it's uh even as a, you know, regular teacher in classroom, like, you know, you should constantly be trying to learn from the people who you're meant to be teaching. Uh, Cause half the time in this Patreon community, these people are making music that I have no interest of making myself and, but no, much less about and i want to know more you know what i mean like yeah. i have so many uk people and like i'm not i'm such a fucking jungle and dnb noob like just like layman's like you know just surface level of all that shit and learning all this yeah it's a very internationalist kind of approach where it's like there's scenes everywhere and the internet in some ways and things like discord and all that other shit can be like unfortunately even even instagram and other zuck owned platforms can be used uh, for positive bridging of these otherwise very kind of geographically isolated communities, you know, just yeah. there's a scene in every big city, but you know what, what it is varies and also is very similar in other ways, you know? I mean, as relative outsider, as a relative, as a, as a sort of newbie to, I don't know whether this is called Web three. Is it called Web three if it's not involving the blockchain? It feels like Discord. I don't is still... think so. No, I don't I think, think so. I still, I it's, it's still Web two. It's Web two. Web two point five, maybe. No, I think. Well, I think like Patreon is like Web two point five. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely the the deplatformed uh, subscription based, uh, you know, individual models uh, is right. what's cool. What's is what's seemingly appealing about. Web three. I'm just yeah. Like we could do this in American in in fiat currency. You know, <laughs> like I would rather my I'd rather my work not be volatile. Yeah, because uh, I already obsess over like, oh, we got to make this subscription goal. I want to get you know X amount of subscribers this month, and I'm fucking looking over the shit. Can you imagine if my money was worth <laughs> like less every second or more? Like uh. I'm fucking anxious, dude. <laughs> I can't deal with that shit. Yeah, I know. It's like surfing the speculative, surfing the speculative ocean is not, is not particularly uh, stable. I mean, I will, I will just say that you could, you can have it in an extremely volatile uh, Web3 asset, or you could put it in a very stable one. You could just, like, like what they're doing with McNina or something like that. Yeah, that's my, that's my homie Eric from high school. I went to high school with Eric, the co-founder of Nina, you know, and and I've talked to them about this for a while and I totally support anybody specifically in music and on the internet trying to undo the damage that specifically Spotify has done, but streaming as a whole. And even before that, like, I guess just the devaluation of recorded music being sold on the internet. Um, my whole thing is just like, I need it to be more, I need it to be more efficient for 
for everybody else. Like I want to send, I want to send my record off to my, my, I want my mom to send it to her friends. Like we can't, we, the, this, the mass adoption hasn't happened yet. It seems too early for me. Uh, plus like I was just fucking tweeting about this all day about the, we have the Puerto Rico blockchain and oh, yeah, three yeah. conference happening right now. And right. That's just, and that's just all like literal X gold, Ron Paul people turned crypto people. They've been trying to like, they've been trying to like neo colonize Puerto Rico for like six, seven years. Right? Yeah. That's a couple like- years now, basically right after the storm, the, 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 the Bitcoin, Bitcoin related folks uh, come in and, and it's just like, you see the specific. I'm not gonna name names because they're all billionaires. They can just like put out a hit on me, like you know. But I mean, like let's name names. I won't name <laughs> names. <laughs> but like you know, these are the. I don't trust billionaires. Anybody gonna disappear you privately? It would be a billionaire, you know. Um, but uh, the uh, you know, it's it's just so clearly a predatory. Like there's clear desperation from you know entrepreneurial educated you know like well-minded people here that just are looking for a shot and this type of stuff unfortunately gets marketed as a get rich quick for a lot of people and it has for a lot of people but you know most of those people already had something going in you know like it's like a literally gold people you know it's also like a get poor fast oh for sure for sure it's the volatility and all that stuff yeah but you know, like there's the literal uh, land grabbing happening with a lot of uh, tech related, uh, you know, people buying up shit, especially in like old San Juan, which is like fucking historic, beautiful area. Uh, this one guy, Brock Pierce, is like the I was just about to, big, yeah. you know, you know, he's the big guy. I mean, he's he's pretty public. I don't need to I don't need to like be hush hush about him. He's very he's, he's, like painted, the, he's painted a huge target on himself. It's like the number one. He's like got such a creepy, weird history too. the whole. Yeah. I mean, we don't we won't get we won't go too deep into specifics. So there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, but so like, you know, he's he's his wife is is starting an nft gallery in like an old historic like beautiful like monastery building that they bought you know uh, basically on you know probably relatively cheap compared to what it is like historically worth uh and i'm not defending like defend the spanish like architecture defend the colonial heritage (laughs) you know like that but like jesus christ like it's just an NFT gallery in old San Juan. It's just ideal enough with the uh, horrible tourists that are colonially minded by default anyways. Like I just, um, I have obviously have a chip on my shoulder cause I'm just like a leftist gringo. So like I yeah. have to be like very conscious of everything, but I get involved where I see fit and use the platform to speak up on the shit. And you know, I've seen, I've seen enough in person to know that there's like <laughs> very predatory uh financial predatory practices involved because everybody wants a shot you know the island makes median income of like 20k a year so it's like yeah everybody is any everybody and anybody's looking for a way to work from home to do it themselves and obviously and that's just not just here but all over the fucking world so they just uh Speaking of not wanting to defend like ugly terrible infrastructure with a with a gross past but they just renamed the um big stadium here in los angeles did you, did you know, know sort of, this, like, what, was I it crypto.com 
Crypto.com Arena. Yeah. Oh it God. used to be the staple center. I know, so the it's not center, like, of course. It's I, not like a like a cute, warm, fuzzy place no, to begin it's with. Like yeah. there's it's been used in rap lyrics, like as like the staple center. So it's like it's uh at this point, you know, it just becomes uh it, the brand just becomes the the identity, but it's beyond the brand. Let's be real. You know, I, staple I'm, center. I'm partial to like the smoothie king arena. <laughs> that's like, that's kind of where that's like Jama the juice arena. Like, yeah, that's kind of where I just don't think I'm ready for arenas to have be called the dot like anything dot com arena. That feels too too fast. Like, like, I'm not ready stupid. That. Yeah, it's because yeah. they don't own the word crypto. They had to be they own <laughs> the, the phrase crypto.com. There's no branding in the word crypto. It wouldn't be clear enough. They have to do crypto.com. Yeah. That's the company, but that's their fault. Some fucking, you know, tech people are not marketing people. Let's let's be let's be real, guys. You could have snipped this in the bud before you bought a stadium come on (laughs) (laughs) so i just want to step back for a second and and ask you to kind of can you like situate yourself a little bit both geographically and you mentioned your history in academia and how you've been trying to step away from that so situate yourself in that to like where you're sort of coming from directly before this iteration of of your work sure yeah so hey what's up my name's max uh i am a musician composer uh educator writer sometimes uh and uh i've been living in puerto rico for two and a half years now uh my wife and i had been coming down here several years prior uh you know she's puerto rican from the bronx so like it was i had never gone and she was like oh you gotta go blah 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 so we do vacations and shit and uh my got a lot of friends made a lot of friends making music and so ended up doing a lot of shows, like tourcations, like come down for a week, hang out and play like three shows at a venue, you know, residencies, but not like kind of DIY residency type deals, you know? Um, and then uh, I graduated in 2018 with my uh, MFA in Sonic Arts from Brooklyn College Conservatory and was already kind of adjunct teaching music and music tech, music history stuff there. Uh, while I was a graduate student and decided uh, I wanted to get out of New York and sort of jumped at the first opportunity I could to move to Puerto Rico because mm. you know if I could if I could make it work who wouldn't want to wouldn't want to live here just especially after a decade of college and graduate school and everything in between in New York City like it's just like nonstop grinding. I needed a slow. I need to slow down. You know, <laughs> it is a different mindset. Uh, even New York is its own. It's its own fucker. You know, California, L.A. is. <laughs> there's like the joke that my friend will always say, like from New Yorker guy Brooklyn going to Los Angeles for the first time, and he like was ordering coffee, and, they, and the barista was like, hey, you know, classic. I'm gonna say like Venice Beach type of deal. Like, hey, what do you want? You know, and like uh, <laughs> the guy's like. Uh, can I get an iced latte? Can I get a chocolate croissant? And the guy was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Are you from New York? You know, it was like, it was like, slow it down. Man. You know, it was such a, it was such a welcome to, welcome to LA moment in a lot of ways. Uh, but anyways, That's hilarious. funny, hilarious, yeah, hilarious makes a lot of anecdote. Sense. I'm such, you know, I'm originally from Boston anyway, so it's not like New York was my, my come up, but uh, Boston mm. is just more boring, more racist, cleaner New York. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, basically, 
moving to Puerto Rico in 2019, uh, was working a full-time professor, uh, teaching audio production, sound studies and music tech to a small university here. Uh, not going to name names. Uh, great, great students. Wasn't happy with this, the general situation I was in, uh, feeling limited as far as pedagogically speaking. And that's kind of right as I started teaching full-time in the classroom is when also the meme young, the meme page, which has been around since I was in grad school. It started out as a joke in graduate school. Um, that's when it became a little more serious about the teaching stuff. Cause I was kind of like, I'm not going to use this in my, I'm not gonna be allowed to use this in my syllabus this semester. So let's like <laughs> think of something we could do with this. That's interesting. And you know, then less than a year after I moved to Puerto Rico, COVID happened. So, you know, that's pretty much from COVID onward, it became serious. Like how can I actually find a way to, create community where there's so much right now, like isolated scenes and kind of that distinction too, but in as musicians like to say, like the scene versus like a real music community, mm -hmm. um, especially in New York being there, it's dog eat dog, like any other industry, you know what I mean? It doesn't matter if you're a wall street or a fucking noise musician, DIY guy, <laughs> like, you know, it's like, shit is limited and like opportunities are, are going to be like a bunch, a bunch of people going for the same shit. So it's, it is very dog eat dog and it can be toxic in a lot of ways, the, the scene. So thinking about when we entered COVID, like how can we uh, address a lot of these issues on top of being stuck at home and isolated from even these toxic issues? Like, you know, like it's, the scene's not perfect nearly, but like, I would still like have like one show a month I'll go to, you know what I mean? Like one thing I plan on doing in my, you know, at age 30, you know, it's not like a uh, 10 years ago, but still. Uh, so when that shit stopped, it's uh, obviously we all kind of, everybody felt in different ways creatively uh, coming into some sort of brick wall, you know, uh, one way or another. And so, that's how this sort of Patreon virtual class platform started was thinking, how can I address these issues? You know, it started out as live streams on IG live and like Q and A's and my stories. And then I just kind of started polling, like, would you guys, and it started out just like $1, $2. Like I was like, would you guys like throw a couple bucks to like have a place to just like talk about this shit? And, uh, yeah, the answer was a was a pretty overwhelming yes. So, so it started. It was like the 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 meme Instagram page is what funneled directly into the oh, yeah. uh, other stuff. Yeah, totally. And that's the shitty part now is that like now that it really is my job, I don't want to be on Instagram, but I need it. I need it to actually spread the word because it's not like i have yeah. you know, i got 30,000 30, instagram followers and 800 patrons or so you know it's like uh the numbers are it's a very clear you know it's like on facebook uh for shows like you know you got 100 people say yes we'll be attending but in fact only 20 of those people are going to come and pay you know you might get another 20 for trying to get, nudge you for the guest list or pretend to be your roadie you know yeah. what i mean yeah. so it's uh yeah. unfortunately it's the necessary evil that that's just trying to do any business or any sort of uh creative endeavor on the internet unfortunately like 
unless you're already famous, you know, from other means, right? right. I would I'm so jealous of Gen X, you know, artists doing their fucking thing. All of my professors, all of the the greatest the greatest people I I know that can just like make it happen and sell records off the internet or have, you know, or have gotten to the point where someone handles it for them and they don't need social media because label has their own shit. You know what I mean? It's like, well, yeah, that's actually one of the, that's sort of one of the bigger things that I'm thinking about lately is this question of like the pros and cons of institutions. It's kind of a hackneyed conversation at this point. Everybody's having it to some extent, but like there are so many good reasons to just like exit these institutions and want to have nothing to do with them, especially because you have so much more autonomy over what kind of work you can make. But like, then what happens, you know, I'm worried about like 10, 15 years down the road when these, when we've really eliminated institutions, except for like the kind of like tech overlord institutions that are the background radiation. And then there's no, then it's like, I don't know. It feels in some ways there's like a libertarian danger to the whole thing of like, yeah. For sure, like just the necessary evil, like I said, is like, you know, and all the complaints I have about crypto being libertarian landscape, I mean, so is Web2. Like who the fuck, who mentored Mark Zuckerberg to the golden boy he is, Peter Thiel? Like, you know, it's yep. like, this is all, this is all connected to the gold people, you know, <laughs> the people that the, or the OG Silicon Valley brainiacs from, from the eighties and nineties and whatnot. So it's like, yeah, on the one hand, democratization, it's like, you know, anarcho-communism versus anarcho-capitalism, right? Like, it's like, and we agree that like, yes, decentralization is, is an interesting idea and removing yourself from like this sort of like hegemony of, in my case, like very like institutional conservatory upbringing as a composer, teacher, and then just the limitations of working within like a private university or public university in general. And it's like, at a certain point it's yeah. Autonomy is a big thing. And also like who you work for, if you have like, if you want to be, you know, if you want to practice what you preach, you know, and I try to do that as much as I can, it's like, yeah, like being independent and not having like an interest of, you know, accreditation standards necessarily, not even that, or like, you know, a, how, you know, every professor has to deal with like administrators being like, can you not fail so many students? And it's just like, no, they aren't doing the work. You know, it's like we have, there's so many dumb administrative things that is universal in academia that professor, pet, actual pedagogues aren't, shouldn't be, <laughs> shouldn't have to deal with, shouldn't have to do. Yeah. You know, and uh, I'm very grateful to have been able to do that. Like, I say that all the fucking time and like affirmations to in my discord to all my fucking people. Like, I'm so thankful for you guys. Like, you know, it's just like for real, because it's like, goddamn, like did not think a year ago this would have been at all what was happening, you know, uh, and it's, you know, cliche COVID changed everything. But uh, it's. It's true. And but going back to what you're talking about, about like the the danger of the uh, it, it seems in a lot of ways when we ride against academia for all of its administrative flaws, 
we start verging into just like anti-intellectualism, you know, territory, which like, you know, in this whole, like we see it now with like colleges being attacked and like critical theory being attacked, critical race theory being attacked, especially, you know what I mean? And it's like, I am, I was going to do a PhD. I'm not doing it this year, but like doing it on like critical music pedagogy. And it's like, this is the world that we it's like, to be in academia is to be critical and you're going to receive pushback from the right in mm -hmm. general. So for me to like remove myself from that also feels like I'm giving up and trying to like, you know, fix it from within, you know, and it's, it's an optimistic reformist kind of mindset. Um, and it's also one that I felt more strongly towards when I needed it to pay my bills. Right. It's like, right. we all, we all just want, especially as like MFA artists, like teaching artists, it's like we just want to be able to pay the bills and like talk about art and have enough to like make our own art and not have to worry about X, Y, Z to like be comfortable in that regards. Yeah. And it's uh, so it's becomes I understand the the concerns, the dangers of leaning too far into like complete decentralization, relying solely on the alternative more democratized platforms which as we found out you know with all this facebook shit like if it's free on the internet they want you to use it you're the product right yeah and they can also tweak levers to, to totally change your life if you rely on them right like if you get shadow banned at any point exactly by some bot right yeah exactly i worry about that shit all the time i have a fucking I have two strikes on Instagram that I have like appealed so many times. One of them was like a picture of uh, <laughs> fucking Akalon, the uh, <laughs> fucking Kurdistan, like com communalism, like uh, like political prisoner with just some like ass like affirmation about music. Just an image of a guy that Turkey considers a terrorist. Whoa! <laughs> um, I got a strike for that. I got wow. a strike for that, and then I got a strike. Which is hilarious because like news shit cover him. Yeah, you know, I mean, he's just like a public figure. Yeah, also, uh, that's like, what does that come back to you as? Like, we 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 this was like reported as like yeah, violating some, our I, service or something. I got some Turkish nationalists who follow me. Apparently, <laughs> I don't yeah, know. That uh, that's all that it takes. That's yeah. all that it takes is more than one. If you get two people doing it within like an hour. You're, you know, that's what happens. And the other one was my fault because I was like, sign up for the Patreon for nudes, which was a joke. But, you know? <laughs> they were like, do not sell sex on Instagram strike two. Um, <laughs> so you've got like, I mean, you got to like uh, tread extra lightly right now, right? I yeah. Mean, well, I'm three uh, strikes. You're out. Kind I'm, of thing? I, it's just what I don't know if it's three strikes. You're out, but it's mm. definitely it's definitely one of those situations that like I'm. I mean, I've never been, I've, my shit's always tried to be in like the antithesis of music tech internet culture, which is just like a bunch of pissing context, contests and the most, you know, toxic music bro shit out there. You know, I always try to do the antithesis of that and being like overtly positive, you know, even doing these like affirmations of just like your music's great and you are great. And like, you know, with me like doing some TikTok dance to some bullshit like that, you know, <laughs> right. like I don't care. It really sometimes I do like 
even if I'm like sometimes if you see me doing some overtly positive based shit, it's because like I'm having a rough day and I need this. And maybe you do, too. You know, like I'm not being able to write music. I'm not inspired, blah, blah, blah. You know, um, so it's I, I my strikes are <laughs> now I know not to post Akalon, I guess. But uh, I can so argue crazy. that. I don't know about I, this. Is the first time I've heard about Akalon, but I was under the impression that the Kurdish like independence movement, or I guess terrorist movement, is like a disputed political issue. It's not like it's not like uh, Osama bin Laden or something. No, no, no. Yeah. They get U.S. support against because they they're the ones fighting ISIS. So like the U.S. gives them shit to fight ISIS, but they're also like you know Turks have Turks have always. You know, it's it's lots Syria on one side, Turkey on the other. You know, Kurdistan is disputed depending on who you ask, like who, who what it actually is. The same, you know, it's it's heated, but it, right. I, I, I guess like one side has more uh, clout at Facebook than the other, uh, considering that like the Kurdistan is like a anarcho-communist, like, you know, kind of uh, what's the word? Uh uh, scattered groups of communes rather than like a nation, you know. Right, right, it's, right. Shit, shit is base as fuck. Uh, and like you know, any and 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 in in any ways, like they kill ISIS. So like we can all get down with. And we fucking armed them, right? They don't just kill yes. ISIS. We like helped them kill ISIS. Yeah. That's why like tankies hate them because they're all like they they're funded by the U.S. Blah, blah, blah. And you know, tankies loves love uh, what's his name Assad. So you know, it's like the. Uh, <laughs> It's like, uh, you know, fucking internet left. I'm not getting into this bullshit. You know, the four quadrants. Yeah. God damn it. I, I don't, I, I purposefully try not to learn about tankies or avoid that, that issue as much as possible. But I did not know they were into Assad. All I knew about was that was China. I was, yeah, um, I was blissfully unaware. Any anti-imperialism, AKA like avoiding United or American assistance is, 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 based bro uh but that's so, where the there's no nuance beyond that um so <laughs> Assad, good because he doesn't need america and he's pro russia and china which are you they know, into iran as well is that a take? i don't fucking know there's so many <laughs> i but, found a i found like a like a a, a like a politogram political theory meme page dedicated just to like Middle East, North African, Wojak memes, like you know, oh like it's like the most specific <laughs> shit. I do not understand ninety nine percent of this fucking shit. I can't. I'm not. The person, <laughs> I'm not the person to tell you about what tankies specifically believe in beyond the anti imperialism line. I don't know about Iran. All right, uh, tank tankies, hit us up. Tell us, do you like Iran? Do you not like Iran? We know you don't like Kurdistan. What about what about Iran? <laughs> Watch this get your entire podcast just red flagged. Like <laughs> this is like the fourth episode, and we're already shadow Jesus banned. Christ! Like every platform oh, we haven't even published it yet. The light already went on. Well, speaking of being super affirmative and and positive and and stuff like that, I. Uh, I'll just pull this up here so I don't get this stuff wrong. I love the Found Sound Stories project. That's like such a sick side project. Do you would you call it a side project? It's one of it? many. It's one of many uses for the main Instagram platform. You know, like mm -hmm. like I consider 
everything to be to some regards a shit post and that like i'm not thinking twice about posting half of this stuff and i kind of lay into that with the found sound shit in that like i get so much of it that i don't listen to it before i post it like while it's in my stories for the first time yeah. you know so like you know take people listening now do not send me something that like in the last half seconds is just your balls like well, don't do that like i was know? just gonna ask if you've ever encountered like trolling well, within that yeah. no you know my you know my people are my people who follow that really are into this shit. you know we got it, there's earnest earnest folk out there that that like you guys that are that are that know the the beauty of the project but one time somebody wanted to send me this awesome like toilet broken toilet sound and they just forgot it was like running it wasn't flushed they just forgot that they just hadn't flushed their shit in the toilet yet while they're filming like the entire thing and i'm like bro what the fuck and he was like what it sounded dope and i was like dude your shit and this is a stranger this is a stranger too and i'm like do you send me a video of your shit and he was like oh my fucking god like Lamim Young got me listening to sound, not even thinking about the fact that my, I haven't flushed. You know, it's like, it's like, all right, fair. I'm not going to post it. I did not repost that one. And then he sent me a clean bowl, <laughs> a video with a clean porcelain bowl, neutral, <laughs> neutral setting, yeah. no, uh, no fecal intrusion this time around. So that's no, funny. that's, that's, that was an accident and a funny story, not a real trolling stuff. I mean, there are yeah. trolls, but nothing that, uh, uh, elaborate <laughs> yet. I mean, the, the sound studies series, I mean, it kind of seems to me like it's it's almost like an extension of Pauline Oliveros, like deep listening online yeah. through TikTok and and you know Instagram stories. It's like for sure convincing, just getting people to like, uh, you know, tune into like the actual audio. Of uh, course, like the sonic sensations that are happening. Yeah, I mean, she's look at my fucking random stack of books next to next to me is the. Deep listening composers practice Pauline Oliveros. So this is just, you know, philosophical text slash just you pick a page and it's like a text score exercise of deep listening. So exactly what you're talking about is a conscious, conscious thing that's, you know, she's been a super influence of mine for better half of a decade, basically through later half of college onwards. Uh, and not even as, I mean, like I love a lot of her records and stuff, but more as this all encompassing teacher, writer, philosopher, musician, composer, improviser, blah, blah, blah. Just as far as like a holistic approach to pedagogy, I think is super refreshing. And, you know, people say like, you know, and there's, conservatory folks say like you can't do xyz types of things and when i was in my 20s i'll be like look at her like she's the fucking this is a score this is a paragraph you know this is my score s my d um <laughs> but uh uh with the found sound uh stories project it really is exactly that tapping into the fact that there's a universal common there's a commonality amongst all of us accessing this page and that we all have a smartphone and with that, the implications that we all have a camera and a microphone built into it. Um, and if you got an iPhone, even a shitty one, old one like me, um, the microphone isn't half bad compared to like, you know, 10 years ago or, you know, whatever my first free droid 
Verizon smartphone right, was, right. you know, 10 years ago. Um, so that being said, it becomes this, this idea of just like being conscious at all times and knowing you got that thing on you, you know, you got, you have the means to record and capture and document something that piques your ear. Uh, and that can be, uh, documented and my my page can be a uh a, you know a a landing site for all of these this international uh collection you know it's so over 700 fucking sounds at this that's point so cool. oh wait no, no no i'm sorry that's the that's the uh the band uh that's the band camp one we have fucking 1700 i'm sorry i'm sorry we're at pay we're at the folder 17 of found sound and you get 100 each i I love that you don't listen to them before you post them. I think that that's like, it's basically like turning your Instagram page into a platform itself that like, you're not, there's like no curation. There's no human creation happening. There is no curation. That's, I wrote about this in high magazine, like the project itself and like that specific thing where like, this is the, there is no entry. The only, I mean, the only entry level is being able to take sound not even necessarily video. Some people have like voice memos that they'll just screen record the video of because you can't send me audio over directly over uh, Instagram or some people will mm. record into the fucking DMS, you know, with the, the voice memo thing there. And then it's on me to screen record it if <laughs> I want to capture it, you know, sometimes I'll do it, you know, sometimes it's worth it, but yes, exactly. There's no curation. I try to be as accessible as possible because it is like thinking about if it were to be, you know, a platform, it would be a map, like it would be a, a globe, right? And this is a sound map in the very literal sense, right? I mean, sound mapping formally is, you know, it's like audio documentarian, right? You know, thinking about uh, a creative means of editing rather than processing field recording and editing to convey uh, a space. You know, like Annie Lockwood is also, beyond Pauline Oliveros in this kind of deep listening idea, Annie Lockwood is another awesome composer and uh, she's still alive and she does she did pieces like uh, the uh, sound map of the Danube, uh, which is the, the, the river. And you know, it's like taken over like 12 hours of being on a raft in the river mixed down to like a 90 minute field recording piece that takes you from A to Z, right? You know, that's a sound map in the most formal sense. I kind of like to think of my stories, my Instagram stories as being like a fractioned into 15 seconds each from different blips around the world. But the map being not just the Danube River, but the fuck all all seven continents if we can get someone in antarctica to take a video um <laughs> then we'll finally fucking do it it shouldn't be too hard <laughs> yeah i gotta there are like scientists that do like tiktok antarctica accounts like scientists down there biologists and shit i should just oh, yeah. dm them Wait, like, is, it the, is it the north of the south pole south all right south pole. <clears throat> north are pole you? i got north pole i got some norwegians that can go. <laughs> Are you on TikTok? Are you? Do you have an account on there? And, I'm on TikTok for the yeah. sake of l collection lurking. Uh, oh, you're not. Like, my, you're not posting at all. Sometimes I'll repost a, a video meme that was once on the that was originally on the the IG, but uh, definitely not an active 
TikToker. That's a whole other fucking grind that I see, you know, especially as teachers and people doing like Patreon style business. Like, how do you promote on IG versus TikTok? Like, Jesus Christ. Like, mm. I know a lot of streamers, you know, like, like people that had day jobs got laid off and are now professional video gamers and made it work, you know? Uh, and the use of TikTok for them is crucial. And mm. they're all they're all thirty something, you know. And that's it is what it is, you know. Gen Z uses TikTok like uh like we use Instagram, and they use Twitch like boomers use AM radio, you know. It's like <laughs> AM talk radio, but now it's just like watching personalities do fuck all, you know. Right, and being able to give immediate feedback too, which they oh, could yeah, not, without, boomers could never do with Rush Limbaugh as much as they probably want. You could to. call in, you might right. get on the list, but you could try. But yeah, the the it's getting on the the level of the mega streamers where the the chat is just <laughs> like it just never fucking stops. You know, I don't uh, know how meaningful it is at that point. I one thing one thing when I think about so when I think about sort of like the as we exit institutions or as they change into this much more decentralized form. Uh, one of the things that I, I guess one of my worries is this idea of archiving and the archivist, because like institutions like libraries, museums, universities, they'll employ trained archivists and they'll be, they'll put a lot of resources into that. Do you ever worry with something like that found sound library that like you're trusting this like really interesting sort of like growing organic body of work this library to the archivists of Instagram, which who even knows if they have someone is that dedicated yeah, yeah. position? All yeah. the time, all the fucking time. Yeah. I worry about this shit all the fucking time. And I mean, this is the the yin of the yang, right? Like you're talking about <clears throat> being able to, as a teacher or any content creator, even to be able to uh, have more autonomy and control over their work, whether it be a Patreon, a classroom like mine or Substack, newspaper, blog, whatever situation. Uh, you have autonomy, you have control, but the consistency of a salary paid professor job, this certainly is not, you know, and like I was telling you, like I obsess over like, oh shit, some, I got two people unsubscribed this week. I got, ah, you know, like, <laughs> oh, you know, I lost $10, you know, <laughs> uh, it becomes, it becomes, uh, I'm just too anxious to not be like that, unfortunately. Um, so yeah, like I do worry about this shit. I have downloaded my data a few times off of the app, uh, okay, yeah. you know, had the entire, uh, the entire account from beginning to when I've done that completely, uh, ripped onto my hard drive. Um, that's good. That's so that's really good. good. Yeah. Last time I did that was, yeah, it's, I should probably do it again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess I wonder like our solutions are probably going to emerge to this for for people like you who are who are kind of like setting off on their own and relying on these platforms for like i imagine there's going to become archiving solutions or people who profess to do that as a job and it feels like because like 10 years down the road you're this whatever this library is 1700 found sounds now it'll be tens or hundreds of thousands and like that's going to be but that's like it's it's such an amazing project that you you want to like be very uh... yeah no I and it's again it's like sucks that I need something owned by Mark Zuckerberg to to do something like this unfortunately it's just like where it's where the folks are yeah, unfortunately yeah. Yeah. it's what it is like if I could wheat paste 
memes throughout throughout a fucking city with a QR code to a I don't know a Zanga a blogspot a WordPress like you know like whatever we did in web the earliest web 2.0 you know like I would love that I yearn for that and I mean I think Discord and shit and Patreon or at least Discord specifically kind of goes kind of taps into that uh forum culture vibes that what it used to be like and you know i i enjoy that because that was my internet growing up um yeah but now it's like yeah unfortunately i am attached to the platform and like for all its for all its evils i mean i've deleted my personal facebook i deleted you know i've deleted a lot of my facebook owned uh area of the, Zuck the zuckerverse the Zuckerverse, which is funny because I live in Latin America now, which means I have to use WhatsApp to talk to a lot of people, mm. which sucks. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, hit me on fucking Signal, bro. It's encrypted, <laughs> you know? Uh, but no one fucking thinks that's that's a red flag to most people here. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I am worried about it. I try not to be because, you know, there are the people that I see for the most part being deplatformed fully, um, many of which uh, have been done unfairly, happen for specific reasons that I'm just not even going to go near with my actions on the internet. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I, I stop responding to people if people do want, you know what I mean? People love to, to shit on each other on the internet and to provoke and you know trolls are one thing but like someone who has like an opinion that i really and they're like you know getting disrespectful with it uh you know it becomes a little uncivil i'll just you know i have to stop you know there are it's i think that a lot of the time you know the i think a lot of the the hoo-ha about like being shadow banned a lot of it comes from right-wing people uh you know the the main canceled you know the main uh, or the the people that have actually been you know permanently banned from twitter and shit like that um but the shadow ban shit is real you know uh my wife runs an anti-racist resource uh like database uh off of uh, squarespace and has a pretty poppin instagram related to it and she's gotten buried just throughout like black lives matter shit up until now like you know that has that has been and it's been documented now with the facebook papers coming out that there has been active suppression of of a lot of that shit you know yeah. because it mostly just comes down to not wanting to piss off conservatives aka peter Thiel and his friends um fucking peter Thiel. god fucking damn it peter that Thiel. Um. scary dude scary dude the yeah, the possibly the arch enemy of the of the twenty twenties at least. We'll see. Uh <laughs> yeah, now I, we're seeing the talk about tankies finding that horseshoe back. There's a yep. lot of that. There's a lot of that happening too. Dude, like, we, we could tell you fuck, we were just I, I won't go too deep into it, but we Far Off Sounds was just invited to a film festival in New York City that we they like flew us out there and made us a part of it, and then we find out after our fucking screening that this festival NPC. Yes. I mean, they showed my memes there. They yeah. did. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I the know, people I were know, cool. But did you Chinatown, know? Chinatown, Chinatown is full of the post left. Seriously. It's the, funniest, it's the weirdest fucking scene. And we got confirmation that Peter Thiel funded that festival, like from the, 
from the leadership. Wow. The wow. Yeah. yeah. That's that felt, fucking that hilarious. Weird. That's yeah. fucking hilarious. I mean, that they would never, they weird. would never fucking, uh, they wouldn't say that out loud on the press, no, on no. the press kit. Jesus no. Christ. I mean, there's one thing. I mean, I know that they're all these fucking like Twitter, Twitter folks that are, you know, are, you know, finding you know former bernie folks going all the way past and now finding their way to teal type uh you know it's the weird like you read a lot of mark fisher but then you start reading the nick lands and then you end up in that territory uh, <laughs> i've seen it happen the mark way. fisher to nick land pipeline is it's, it's unfortunate it's yeah. unfortunate i mean i get i give it up to josh citarella for trying to like undo a lot of the damage that's that like young people like the zoomers are falling into these trajectories now and yeah. he's like he's really he's really doing the do not research shit for, <laughs> for us so we don't have to in a lot of ways but um yeah yeah i mean this work. it's no it's inescapable the shit is inescapable at any level whether it be you know a fucking instagram page or a niche ass like you know Chinatown Film Festival. I think it's like there are all these avenues and it's kind of like that astronaut meme always has been like with the gun. Like it's just there has always been evil money in art. Like yeah. it's just I mean yeah. even fucking Brad Tramiel just did that whole thing on like the PSYOP report of how like you know abstract expressionism was the American government's way of saying like, look at these commies, like making all these like propaganda weirdo pieces. Our artists can do whatever the fuck they want. You know, it's like. Totally. Yeah. It's very much an updated version of that. Yeah. It just feels, it feels very weird to realize you've been part of the psyop rather than just that you've been enjoying it. It's like a whole different kind of like rug pulled out from you. It always has been. Well, me too. Me too, I guess. Cause my, they've showed, they literally hooked up one of their, one of the organizers hooked up their phone and just scrolled through <laughs> the stories in oh, at the, at the film fest, like direct from phone or go. maybe That's... it was, maybe it was the desktop, maybe it was desktop version, but uh, it was funny, full circle. Cause we pretty much <laughs> just did that in our uh, <laughs> in our like uh, film that we showed we just said between like our far off sounds episodes it was me scrolling through the sounds like music right uh, yeah i mean I thought, i've seen yeah. on on your social media like you guys are very much on the very much on the like in the in the vein of like almost like sahel sounds and like some of the uh you know 20th cent 21st century internet based uh, musicology sort of documentarian uh, platforms in that way. Uh, you know, I hate, I wasn't, I was <laughs> almost said Lomax, but I was like, no, he's a, he was, he was not nice. I said, hey, hey, you prisoners, don't you know any of those old timey songs? Right, and they're right. like, I listen to Elvis. <laughs> and they're just like, no, sing that old timey shit. The old, you know, you know the good, the good folksy one. Yeah. Play the stuff I want to hear. Stuff. Play that for shit me. that we know Smithsonian's going to pay me a lot for. You know, we, we did, we did get a, a personal tour of the archives when we were in DC making our Hilo Mergia episode. We did get to see the uh, Max Lomax uh, Smithsonian. And it's center. it's a beautiful. You did beautiful work. It's just like I think the. The objective, the objectivism is questionable when you when you look at the full story of the uh, you know context of behind the recording sessions. You know, it's so true, and it's something that like we I think we struggle with a lot. It's like a, how do we not get judged that way a hundred years down the line if we're out there doing ethnomusicology? It's really an interesting question, and I think one of the really cool 
projects that you're doing, one of the ways that you kind of have hacked that question is by decentralizing it and not making it about a store, a particular storyteller in yourself, but sort of like it's an open source situation. So there is no, you can't like pinpoint a kind of like ideological narrative on it necessarily. Yeah. And I mean, I'm obviously a fucking white guy, white Jewish kid from Boston mass, like with an MFA, like I have a upbringing that is very westernized and, you know, of a, you know, higher education elitism, blah, 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 you know, like I, but that's like <laughs> the self, the self-awareness is what's key in that as a teacher, I'm trying to, you know, not be that, you know, I think right. the best teachers that I had were the ones that were like the non-academic adjunct instructors that were like fully in the field in the scene professionally doing their thing and were you know also prof also professors but you know the the mfas versus the phds seeing this like practitioner world the te the practitioners were the teachers i wanted to be totally. not the researcher not the uh i want to be out in the field not in the library uh you know type of vibe and yeah the decentralized nature of the Patreon and the Instagram is that the field <laughs> is the phone. So I have to be glued to it if I want the thesis of this all to pan out. Uh, it, it depends on me. Um, yeah, <laughs> dude, speaking of the practitioners, I just have to shout out your Vito Acconci post from whatever it was last week or something. That, uh, that guy, I have to say, was an early hero of mine in video art when I was in college. I wrote part of my big thesis was about Vito Acconci. I, I directed a thesis feature film, and I was like, I had to write a paper to go with it. And I was like, here's what Vito Acconci did. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah. Oh so, man, I hate to, I hate to burst. I don't want to. I don't want to burst your bubble uh, of him. No, uh, I, mean, <laughs> I could. You could tell from just from his work how unpleasant and unhappy he was just from looking at that. I shit. mean, yeah. he was. It was. He was a perfectly pleasant you know late 70s old old guy uh as yeah. far as just like one-to-one -one conversations and stuff like that but you know when it was a class that was just called like age of information or something like very general and there was no description of what the class was it was just like it's Vito Acconci and this is the only semester he'll be doing this for whoever knows he's probably not gonna be back and then he fucking died two months afterwards like after mm -hmm. the semester ended so it really was uh, a happenstance situation, but the class was literally just Vito teeters in with a couple DVDs that he just picked out from home and we could talk about it beforehand or we could just watch it. And sometimes they would be artsy fartsy video art examples and, you know, or acclaimed Kino and shit like that, whatever you want to call it, what you'd expect from someone like him. But then it was, we had just Brian De Palma week where we just fucking watch Mad De Palma. I, I mean, that honestly makes a lot of sense to me. <laughs> he was a schlocky. He loved the schlock. He loved the 80s. He loved the 80s aesthetic. He loved like, you know, B-movie type shit. And, you know, I think it was just one of those things that talk whenever we wanted to actually try to get like <clears throat> information out of him related to his work that we could like take inspiration from as artists because <laughs> he is Vito Akanchi. That's why we took the class. Right. You know, he would just be like, you know, it was like, like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to get into all that. And I was like, well, you just finished your retrospective at MoMA, which I actually worked at MoMA when they were wrapping that up, not in the install team, but doing sound for their concerts. So I like saw, 
the retrospective while I was working there. And so I asked him about it. Was he happy about it and all that stuff? And he was like, absolutely not. It was a nightmare. (laughs) You know, I just wanted to make, I just wanted to show my furniture. You know, (laughs) he was really into furniture in his later years. You know, that was a, so there was an interesting array of absurd, super like ultra hypersexual video and performance art documentation and some like really nice wood. So, you know, two types of wood, if you catch my drift. That's great. Um, <laughs> I love that. Fascinating character. I'm writing about him for this little this little book project I'm doing right now, just about how, like, uh, the one thing I learned out of this whole situation is that, like, you can become, like, fucking top of your line successful in your field and be, like, absolutely miserable, you mm-hmm. know? Like, have the fucking Dumbo... Uh, loft studio on the waterfront have your fucking moma retrospective all this shit and still just be like i wish i just i wish you know and part of it with him was like i wish like the thing the video of me masturbating wasn't the thing that made me famous (laughs) you know like it was one of those things that he was tired of that i think it seemed you know but i guess i can understand Yeah, I guess that it does make sense because he was from such a particular time and era. And by that time, I imagine he had kind of like the world had moved on in terms of the zeitgeist and what was interesting to people. And he was kind of this relic in a lot of ways of the art world, even if he's getting big retrospectives at MoMA. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just like, how do you deal? How do you deal with that? And I think it was having a retrospective wasn't the problem. It was just that like it still leaned into that early stuff and you know any artist will any artist that continues the work is not going to have affinity towards the shit what 50 years prior you know like right. or, yeah. or, or 45 or whatever like it's uh it, it makes sense it's it was just a very interesting sort of microcosm learning experience for me yeah and seeing seeing someone of that caliber um literally in the last in the last months of their life kind of just like reflect and not have any anything positive to say um i mean he taught you a lesson it sounds like in the end of it it was a sounds like it was a very impactful course in some way for you yeah it was it was and you know he's a very uh i think it was a fascinating you know it's just one of those things that you can't make up and just had to have experienced because there's no other you know literally once in a lifetime situations though i'm sure there are plenty of other older miserable artists out there um but you know right place right time i guess yeah so what what are you gonna do to uh not become uh old and miserable (laughs) your practice that's why i teach that's why i stopped touring years ago like you know and that's the other thing too is i'm the like i love working on my music and i'm doing a lot more writing these these past few weeks, but like I try to keep my own music regiment uh, pretty tight throughout the week, you know, even just playing piano without doing anything to it, just, you know, improvise, uh, even if it's just a practice what you preach type of thing. Um, it's like going to the gym. I know it's good for me. Uh, yeah. But what, uh, what kind of stuff were you playing when you were when you were touring? <clears throat> I mean, a bunch of I've been in a I was in a band. Like I was in a band for like five years, five of my 10 years in New York City, I was in a band that where, you know, we were pretty constantly uh, 
the college northeast college weekend circuits you know that type of thing Bard, we, hampshire wesley of course of course oh, yeah. you know we did like a, few, a solid 500 to a thousand bucks of course <laughs> of course you know we and that, that's the that's the best money when you're yeah. when you're actually doing it uh way more than fucking going to arlene's grocery or pianos or whatever the fuck in 2011 yeah. manhattan or whatever the fuck uh but uh yeah i mean that was, i've always been making experimental music since i've been like gigging out especially as a full-grown adult this band was kind of like combining my weird improvisational habits with some with my my uh my colleague uh actually from high school in boston as well my friend zach uh who makes music under the name now jackery uh it was kind of like he's he's an awesome bassist and uh guitarist and really really funky dude so we kind of like made future funk like noise funk weird shit you know like shit in the pocket but like using feedback oscillator as like you know an instrument and all this type of shit uh noise noise is accessible uh depending on how you want to how you use yeah, yeah. it you know was it like uh, two, you was it like two electronic rigs essentially no no i was the electronics and like co-vocalist he was bass and pedals as electronics like pedal synths yeah. uh basically bass synth bass as synthesizer um uh and lead vocals and a drummer so no guitars okay. uh which was experimental on its own you know having this like weird instrumentation trio um learned a lot playing in that band it's just the 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 grind especially when you're your own management is uh impossible and just i didn't want to i just didn't see myself being like doing that grind that the industry demands of you especially in the music that i was making on my own which is much more just abstract electronic ambient free improvisational noise whatever the fuck you know i mean i make techno and pop music too when i feel like it but it's uh at a certain point i was realizing that the music industry was making me not enjoy making me lean into the misery that i could see myself doing professionally and making a living off of but would never really feel happy throughout um versus teaching i've always that's like the most gratifying job i've ever had yeah. it was like starting doing that shit out of college working in special needs adults in new york city mm -hmm. uh like kind of nonprofit, uh you know continuing ed for for special needs folks uh music classes that was really the first time it was like yeah this is a this is <laughs> this this is giving me the energy to get ruined by playing a shitty show for five people later tonight you know what i mean what, um, do, you th what do you think it is about teaching that that gave you that energy that gives you that energy uh i think being like the the work I, the way that i teach is that everything's a workshop and like i said like i'm learning too like it's a learning experience for me as well and the kind of barriers are down and the inhibitions are kind of laid back in the teaching setting where it's like it's okay to fuck up versus like i don't know the show new york city independent brooklyn music scene is a whole lot of like not really talking and express and talking to each other it's a lot of like six set bro is the joke that i always say and that's kind of the vibe uh mm -hmm. and that's you know bands will pass each other in load in load out off stage it's just like sick bro right. and that was that's the uh community 
in a lot of these cases. Um, so I just felt, I just didn't feel uh, the connection to the the job of being a musician like that um, in a way that made it still like kept the magic alive for me. Yeah, it's almost like the music itself isn't quite enough. The community is such a huge ingredient in making it fun and making it like for sure and i think that like academia for a while was my way of being like i could like have a job and make whatever fucking music i want and not have to worry about having to tour or having to gig constantly and shit like that um and obviously that presented its own flaws and then now i'm at this point where it's just i've un i'm completely ungigged like it's been almost two years of of no gigging like you know i've gigged a few times in puerto rico since i moved in 2019 but nothing in nothing you know yeah for for 19 or so months so it's like now i'm talk about practice what i preach like trying to figure out <laughs> how to get myself out there into uh because i still feel like a newbie where I live, you know, I've only had, I only had like eight months of normalcy before COVID happened. And then being isolated in a place that you just moved to makes it difficult to just be like, like when I was in New York, just go into shit. You know what's what I the, mean? Uh, what's the situation like right now in terms of COVID stuff? In, in PR, I mean, it's, it's all relative to America proper. It's way better. Like if, if PR was a state, we'd be number one, baby. As far as like numbers down, deaths way down, vaccinations up, all that shit. It's because Puerto Rico mindset is not American. Like yeah. they know they've been fucked over by every level of like society from nature all the way to corporatism, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and the cavalry's not coming. No one cares. That's the, even the government doesn't care in Puerto Rico. So it's like, use your use your head for the common good um and yeah like people don't trust the the government here but it's like it's it's just like either that or especially here there's so many old people it's just like either that or just like potentially lose your family you know or lose your own life so it's like you know that's another another reason another problem separately why there are so many old people here and young people keep leaving but uh, it is what it is. Uh, right now, it's you know, you, it's year round. You can be warm outside and drink outside. So when bars bars have uh, have to close early or have half capacities or whatever, it's really not a thing. Like the gas station can become a bar. I think that's I think that's partially why Los Angeles is doing really well too, is because we don't we aren't forced indoors with each other. Yeah, for like in the five warmer places. There. Exactly. I don't know how I how I would last in in the Northeast being a being a Yankee. Uh, you know, my folks, my grandfather, my grandfather lives in Cape Cod. My folks live in Boston. So like, my folks have the the privilege of being able to like escape the city, go to my grandfather's place out in Cape Cod. But it, yeah, it's like cold, desolate, and I cold isolation versus like. Uh, cold city isolation i don't know i i don't know i got too much seasonal affective disorder to deal with that shit i'm i'm <laughs> i'm staying put <laughs> does it does it get super hot during the summer in puerto rico is that oh yeah issue? yeah but you know how it is in the anybody goes to like a northeast city in the summer like new york is hell 
in the summer. Like yeah. I've had Puerto Rican friends come and visit me when I was living there. And they're like, this fucking sucks, bro. Like, like at least Puerto Rico has breeze. Like the only yeah, time yeah. New York has wind is when it's in the fucking below zero frigid wind. In the summer, it's just like thick air, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, you know, a little, yes, there's more natural heat, but there's a lot more breeze here uh and less sure. like congestion humidity type of shit you know like heat index is more of a natural heat index rather than like you are surrounded by pollution and the air quality is bleh, you know that type of shit yeah um i don't know how it is and how is it in la when it comes to when it comes to summer summer related heat like I oh know it's it's el desierto but i mean like it's uh, probably still comfortable no, it's terrible. No? It's getting, I mean, you know, California catches just on fire every summer now. And it's like the air is thick with smoke. And, you know, if you live near the ocean, then you're good because you do get that breeze and the heat is way lower every day. But most people in LA, like we live probably an hour from the beach. We're in the center of the city, but it's not, we're not getting any like coastal breeze or anything like that. So yeah, it just, it traps a lot of heat and it gets up to, you know, we've been getting heat waves of like over a hundred degrees for like a week or two at a time during the summer. And yeah, it's making me, it's making me a bit of a, a doomer on Los Angeles. I'm feeling you guys like, both. Are you guys both out there? No, I'm in Detroit. Oh, no. oh but, word. Uh, yeah. Jacob, Jacob's from Detroit. Oh, word. We went nice. to high school together. Well, Detroit yeah. is way cooler than Los Angeles on a, on a cultural upbringing I, on a, I on a, agree. <laughs> I mean, Los Angeles is a hundred years old. Not even when it comes to what we know it as. Detroit's yes. got all sorts of shit. Despite Henry Ford being a Nazi, right? Techno made up for it. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I definitely miss being around buildings that are more than fifty years old. That's that's a it's a sad feeling to have everything be fucking new and kind of like a melange, like a new like a new city. Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like we're getting to our time limit here, but I, <laughs> this is a, this is a great question to end on. Can you, can you, I feel like it, we would be remiss if we didn't go a little bit into the idea of meme pedagogy. Like what is it? And like, what, how do you consider your work on the meme young? I think it's, yeah. I mean, I think that's a really interesting aspect of what you do. Um, I mean, it's one of those things that I think memes are a, you know, in general, the, the the definition of a meme, like Dawkins meme, is just an idea that's streamlined from one person to another, blah, 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 right? It's a streamlined idea. Nowadays on the internet, it's streamlined usually through text and image, sometimes video, sometimes sound, but primarily text, text and image. Um, so for me, that is a, we'll never be able to streamline music like we can an idea that might be presented in a strictly visual context or a strictly text context, but it can open the door for people through something accessible and streamlined like a meme, like a picture of some obscure ass composer with glowing lens flare eyes, deep fried bullshit, you know, classic meme aesthetic can introduce someone to Pauline Oliveros, you know what I mean? And that's happened plenty of times where people just in my DMs like, I hadn't heard of any of this shit until I saw your dumb video of Bob, you know, your dumb deep fried thing. You know what I mean? That's really what it is for me. I think there's an entire separate conversation 
related to the visual art aesthetic side of and you know meme pedagogy from a like a like a real arts pedagogy standpoint that i am obviously less uh knowledgeable to discuss but from the general idea of it being in a in a world of art that we live in being durational music sound we can't you can't uh i mean we can make it as short duration they're trying to make it as as uh TikTokable as possible in a song but like you still are sitting through a two minute pop song uh rather than you know rather than some sort of you know twitter thread of the song or something you know single image of the song it doesn't it doesn't convey that type of uh doesn't convey the information so there are limitations to what a meme can do as far as uh presenting a musical idea but it could be a very good door opener it could be a very good way to introduce a topic that will require patience that will require literal time um but as a teacher myself you know as cringe as it is i this whole shit started the whole page started just as a place that i posted the powerpoint memes that i was making for my college classes i was teaching you know and the name lameem young was given to me by a student when i made when i made a meme about lamont young and they were like that's lamont then you're lameem and i'm just like <laughs> stole that's that is mine now yeah. um so it's like one of those things that it's always been i like memes like it's just always been something as on as a as an internet uh sh like you know just a little shithead just being on the internet like i think it's uh one of those things just it's another another great medium of humor that can convey some much larger ideas um and then you see people like brad tramell and stuff who have already for years been tackling very serious uh pedagogical issues from the visual arts uh academic and industry side of things so for me, I was seeing work like that and being like, this is doable in a musical sense to some extent. How much do you, do you have to devote, like, do you devote a lot of your time to just being in fucking Photoshop? Like how much of your- Nothing's photo, it's all it's yes. all on some fucking free bullshit. Oh, okay, it's okay. all PixArt. Shout out to PixArt free edition. So it's three uh, minutes, like an idea, it's just like boom, boom. How much yeah, time- much. That's like, the aesthetic too, you know? Of course. No, I don't, yeah. you know, and that's the, I think if I was to do, if I was even to to put it on, to make a desktop meme, like Photoshop or anything else that had more control at the professional level because it's in the desktop software, I think that would already be defeating the purpose for me because it really should just be like, yeah. That's so funny. I think I just gave myself out as someone who doesn't make memes because I was like, well, if I'm going to make like a picture with some big letters under it, I'm just going to go right into Photoshop. No, there are plenty. Way. There are plenty of, I would say, real, real artists who use memes the way that I do to convey ideas. But theirs are visual ideas. Um, and oftentimes they will, it might have an aesthetic of some deep fried shithole. But it is a intentional, very well crafted, often Photoshop Illustrator type deal. You know, um, right. they'll just deep fry it using the most sophisticated tools. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, uh, someone had to do the original deep frying on some kind of. Yeah, right. Tool. I mean, it's mm -hmm. just that uh, that late. What is it? Post internet. 
like that 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 just shitty windows 95 jpeg type yeah. deal everything eventually becomes uh aesthetic for either you know actual fine art purposes or in my case like humor and then information you know well i think that's a good place to leave it unless nick or you do you have any other anything else you want to talk about what's next you're gonna you're gonna i mean so you're still are you still teaching right now like in a, in not, a classroom. In a, in a classroom? No, no, no. So you're, I'm, you're I'm completely. Gone. I'm gone. I'm full time. I'm full time. Uh, I mean, my my, uh, you know, half of the half of the income coming from Patreon is just the private lessons, studio visits. You know, yeah. so it's just a good way of to to do what I've always done, just to get more private students, as I've always been just doing as a a side hustle. Um, the, right the now, private, the private lessons are all like online. In the, yeah, it's in the all Zoom stuff. Yeah. We, 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 we figure out over email and uh, yeah, you know, time's running out, folks. The slots are being taken up, you know, like only limited, limited supply marketing, yeah. baby. Yeah, but I mean, it's uh, right now, I guess the, the, the next goal for the thing uh, is to turn this, the podcast that's right now just a document of conversations. Like I don't even edit these things i want it to be like university lecture style like uncut lecture conversation moderated whatever um i want to start adding both a video of i want to add a performance element to that um where i can uh you know we make enough we get enough patrons where we can uh i can actually pay the artists to like a real commission a live set uh as well as the artist talk um, and then to be able to maybe do the set first to talk afterwards so we could talk about what they just did and explain all that shit. Um, and then, you know, big ideas would be like, have like a proper film crew version of it and fly artists to Puerto Rico and do like location shit, you yeah. know, uh, and then have them be involved in like some IRL stuff on the music scene here. Uh, because that's the biggest problem as far as just the music scene in Puerto Rico. Everyone's frustrations is just like getting convincing managers to get, you know, flown out. It's not a, there's no tour for this. It's just like a plane ride. So it's gotta be one of those situations, you know, it's just frustrating for a lot of, for a lot of booking agents and people here to get, uh, artists to come down unless it's a put me up at the hotel blah, 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 you know and it's like i want to do this thing where it's like can have i can host these artists come down here they'll do a set we'll do a in-person rather than zoomed uh podcast filming interview talk you know diy red bull music academy type deal in puerto rico that's the vibe yeah. so sponsors wherever you are peter teal i know you're listening <laughs> baby peter baby Listen, I'll let you be king. Whatever Le, you want. Lamim Whatever you want, Peter. Peter, <laughs> Peter look, we need Lamim coin in Puerto Rico. We need Lamim coin. I'll let you be king. I know it's what you want. You want to be king. It's fine. It's fine. You could do whatever. You're a chess master. You're a genius. Do whatever you want, baby. Peter, <laughs> uh, Peter if I can jump in, don't listen to our podcast. We don't want don't. you. <laughs> don't do it. Please do not follow me. Go away. Peter. You already know. You I, He knows too much. <laughs> thank you guys for having me. Well, thank you. I thank you so much, it. man. Thank you so much yeah. for being here. Yeah, this was Have great. a great evening. All right. Good well. we'll talk soon. See you. Peace. Peace. Thanks for listening to the Far Off Sounds podcast. I'm Nick George. 
I'm always joined by Jacob Hurwitz Goodman. If you like what you heard today, uh, you can check out more episodes via our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash baroffsounds. We also have 21 episodes for you to check out online. You can find those at faroffsounds.org.